Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. It's great to have you with us. Fantastic, actually, to have you with us. Uh, Welcome to this uh, 13th episode of the Letters from Our Founding Fathers podcast. Uh, We're going to be having a fantastic discussion today, I believe. Some people might not enjoy it, but I I doubt that seriously. I think everybody will get something out of this particular episode of the podcast. Controversial topic. I don't know why, but to some folks, this is a controversial topic. The uh, the topic of a well-regulated militia. Where have you heard those words before? Well-regulated militia. Uh, Some of the uh, more informed of you, of course, will recognize those words from the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. And what is the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States? I'm paraphrasing slightly, but this is roughly it. A well-regulated militia, being the necessity of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. Now you know why it's controversial. This is going to be a controversial episode of the podcast. Because some people do not agree with uh, the concept of the Second Amendment of the United States, or they don't don't understand it, or they don't know what it is, or they think it's something that it's not, and they think it's it's one thing when really it's another. Uh, And the reason why people are often mistaken about the Second Amendment to the United States is because they spend about 30 seconds forming up an opinion about it, and zero seconds actually reading anything about it or studying it in any particular kind of way. Or they just listen to what other people have to say about it in the uh, in the modern context, but they don't actually go back and figure out, okay, why is this actually in this document? Good news, we're going to fix that today. Uh, this is really going to be a part one of a few, at least a couple of episodes on a well-regulated militia. This isn't going to be the last time we talk about this. And The reason why I'm breaking it up and the reason why I'm talking about it now is because it just so happens that it came up in the writings from George Washington. Uh, We're not going to read a letter so much from George Washington, but we're going to read a document from Fairfax County and a committee on for which George Washington was the chairman of the committee. So this is very much from George Washington, but it's not a letter. And But it does have uh, some sentiments of his in it, I believe, based on everything else that I've read. This is very much George Washington, what we're going to read today. And not just... Um, It's not just that it comes from George Washington's letters, but also at this particular period of time. Uh, We've we've arrived basically in early 1775 in the writings that we're talking about from George Washington. And 1775 is a very important time in American history. And you're going to find out why in podcasts to come if you don't know already. Uh, This is uh, probably one of the most consequential years in American history, and perhaps one of the most consequential years in the history of the world. Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you? How dare you say that this uh, this one year in this one particular part of the world is one of the most consequential things in the history of the world? How dare you, sir? Well, you know what? The existence of the United States of America is consequential. And it, it, is, it, is, it is meaningful to the entire world still to this day. It changed the world. And you can't have the United States of America without 1775. At least I, I, I don't believe you can. And I, I think by the time we get through all of 1775 with all of the Founding Fathers, the letters, the documents that we're going to talk about, you, you might agree with me or you might disagree. And if you disagree, good news. I want to hear from you. Uh, leave a review on the podcast with a comment, uh, a question, a suggestion, whatever you want. Uh, or alternatively, 
Uh, another way you can get a hold of me is you can go over to the Patreon side of thing, patreon.com slash podcasts with Roman. And you can comment over there and, and I can I can get messages and so on and so forth over there. I have another podcast that I run over there, but you can leave questions and stuff on for this podcast as well over there. I don't um I don't break that up just to keep it simple more than anything else. So it's um and also if you if you go over there to, to that particular Patreon site and you subscribe, you get access to my podcast that's actually available over there, and it's a good podcast, I think. So yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Well-regulated militia. I think it's important. And, and you know, it's 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 not something that we can just kind of skip over as a topic, nor nor would I, as, as a student of history, skip over that as a topic. And this is going to be, again, that discussion that you just never get in a history class in high school. And certainly, I don't even think in the university most of the time are they going to talk about this. Not at this length. And again, this is not the last time that we're going to talk about this on this podcast. There's going to be another, at least one more part to this, if not a couple more. So let's um let's get into it. Without further delay, let's start talking about Fairfax County, George Washington, and a well-regulated militia. Let's do that right now. So, let's go back to the county of Fairfax, Virginia. Uh the great great Fairfax County, Virginia. Resolutions of the Fairfax Resolutions of Fairfax County Committee 17 January 1775. Uh, seems to have been written by Mr. Pinckney. George Washington was chairman of the committee, so on and so forth. So I include these in the letters from George Washington. Quote, Resolved that the defenseless state of this county renders it indispensably necessary that a quantity of ammunition should be immediately provided. And as the same will be for the common benefit, protection, and defense of the inhabitants thereof, it is by just and reasonable, it is but just and reasonable, that the expenses incurred in procuring the same should be defrayed by a general or equal contribution. It is therefore recommended that the sum of three shillings per poll for the purpose of aforesaid be paid by and for every tithable person in this county to the sheriff or such other collector as may be appointed who is to render the same to this committee, with a list of the names of such persons as shall refuse to pay the same if any such there be. End quote. This is very interesting. So, what on earth are we talking about? Quote, a quantity of ammunition should be immediately provided, end quote. They're talking about the defense of the colony. Now, we're going to find out what, what they're talking about exactly in the next section that I'm going to read you. But the county of Fairfax is ordering, basically, that some ammunition be immediately provided. And they're going to raise taxes to do it. Yes, those dreaded taxes that the, uh, the founding fathers didn't want to pay. Oh, but in this particular case, they voted for taxes, but that's okay. Why? Because... They did it through their assembly. They did it through the county of Fairfax, where the people of the county have ele- have representation. They've nominated their people. They have put people there to represent them. So their representatives are voting for this. So this is a justified tax in the eyes of the colonists. The colonists don't mind paying taxes so long as it goes through their representative assemblies in the colonies. And this is very clever what they're trying to do here in Fairfax. And you're going to find out why here in about a minute or two. This is going to be very apparent, but that's what they're doing. They're raising, they're get, they're gathering ammunition, and they're levying taxes for it. This is important. Pay attention to that. Let's continue. Quote, Resolved that this committee do concur in opinion with the Provincial Committee of the Province of Maryland that a well-regulated militia composed of gentlemen, freeholders, and other freemen is the natural and only staple security of a free government, and that such militia will relieve our mother country from any expense in our protection and defense will obviate the pretense of a necessity for taxing us on that account, and render it unnecessary to keep standing armies among us, ever dangerous to liberty. And therefore, it is recommended 
to such of the inhabitants of this county as are from 16 to 50 years of age, to form themselves into companies of 68 men, to choose a captain, two lieutenants, an ensign, four sergeants, four corporals, and one drummer for each company, that they provide themselves with good firelocks and use their utmost endeavors to make themselves masters of the military exercise published by order of His Majesty in 1764 and recommended by the Provincial Congress of the Massachusetts Bay on 29th of October last. End quote. Whoa, boy. There is a lot to unpack in this one relatively brief paragraph. If you didn't catch all that, there was a lot, a lot in that paragraph. And you wonder why in the world it is I select the letters that I select. This is why. Oh my goodness, where do I even begin? So why are they raising arms? Let's answer that question first. Why are they raising arms in the county of Fairfax and why are they levying attacks to do it? Here, This is the reason why. Quote, such militia will relieve our mother country from any expense in our protection and defense and will obviate the pretense of a necessity for taxing us on that account and render it unnecessary to keep standing armies among us ever dangerous to liberty, end quote. And if you're curious what the word obviate means, it's not a, it's not a word in common usage much anymore. I don't hear it very often anyway. It means um, to remove. When he says, uh, we'll obviate the pretense of a necessity for taxing, he says to remove the pretense. That is to say, the justification for a necessity of taxing, and so on and so forth. The rationale, the argument. So the reason why they're doing this is not to fight against the King of England. It's actually quite the opposite. They're doing this in order to remove the justification for taxing the colonies. They're going to tax themselves. They're going to put it through their representative assemblies, and they're going to use that tax revenue to raise militia forces sufficient to be able to protect the colonies so that Britain no longer has to spare the expenditure of keeping a standing army in the colonies. Isn't that brilliant? That's the way you do this. That is a good solution to this problem. Brilliant. My hat's off to you, Mr. Washington, and to the, the people of Fairfax County, Virginia. So they're basically saying, they're, they're like, okay, you want to tax us to pay for the defense of the colonies, but we say that you can't tax us without representation, so we have a problem here. You want to tax us to pay for the defense, we say that you can't tax us. Okay, fine. What we'll do is we'll tax, our, we'll tax ourselves and we'll pay for our own defense. Problem solved. Now please go back, to, go back and mind your business, King of England and Parliament. Brilliant. Brilliant solution to a problem. That's how this is done. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room, so to speak. And yes, I'm going to go there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to preface my remarks by saying that this is not a partisan argument. Uh, some people out there might get offended about what I'm gonna, about ready to talk about because it is a topic in partisan debate in this country at this very moment and has been for some years. But just because something is a, is a partisan debate doesn't make it a partisan issue exactly. I'm not going to debate it in a partisan context. I'm just going to tell you what the Founding Fathers were thinking and how this whole thing works. And I'm going to start, you might be wondering, Roman, what on earth are you talking about? What are you, what are you, what's so, what's so, what's so uh, potentially partisan that you're going to talk about? Quote, a well-regulated militia, end quote. Now, why is that controversial? What does the Second Amendment say? I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it in front of me right now. A well-regulated militia being the necessity of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I believe I have that. I believe I have that accurate. So that well-regulated militia clause in the, in the Second Amendment, that, that phrase, I should say, it's not really a clause, it's a phrase. What, 
what in the, what in the world does that mean? It's it's a topic of constant debate, and people in this country, the reason why people have trouble understanding what it means is because they don't they spend about 30 seconds thinking about it and about 0 seconds actually reading about it. They form up their opinions based on their feelings and their emotions as American citizens are wont to do these days. People seem to be driven in total by their feelings and their emotions. And what I'm going to what I'm going to say to you is this, if you're if you're one of the folks who are offended by by this by this discussion or by the the concept of a well-regulated militia and the arguments around it and being the necessity of a free state and how how this how this whole thing comes together I, I suggest you take your partisan ideology put it in a box along with your feelings and your emotions and you take that box and you seal it up and bury it in your backyard where it can be forgotten for all time and never seen or heard from ever again that's my suggestion to you now what in the world is a well-regulated militia? Well, he describes it here. If you ever wanted to know, George Washington is telling you, quote, composed of gentlemen, freeholders, and other free men, end quote. Okay. Now, now, what, what else about the, the structure of this well-regulated militia do we know? Let's read this part. Quote, therefore, it is recommended to such of the inhabitants of this county as are from 16 to 50 years of age to form themselves into companies of 68 men, to choose a captain, two lieutenants, an ensign, four sergeants, four corporals, and one drummer for each company, that they provide themselves with good firelocks and use their utmost endeavors to make themselves masters of the military exercise published by order of His Majesty in 1764, and recommended by the Provincial Congress of Massachusetts Bay on the 29th of October last, end quote. Boy, I'll tell you what, if that's not one of the best articulations of what a well-regulated militia is, I don't know what is. And why did I stress those words, recommended, themselves? You heard those words come up. Why did I say that? It's important to understand here that the county of Fairfax, that the county of Fairfax is not forming up a state-run or county-run militia under orders of the county of Fairfax. That's not what they're doing here. They are gathering arms for the county, for the county to provision, but they're not forming up an actual militia themselves. They are, quote, recommended to such of the inhabitants, end quote, to form up a, a militia. That's basically say, that's like, that's like holding a town council meeting and saying to the citizens of the, of the county or the town, please go back and form up a militia amongst yourselves. And this is how you do it. This is how you organize it. 68 men, Choose a captain, two lieutenants, an ensign, four sergeants, four corporals, and one drummer, of all things. Uh, that's how you do that. They're basically telling people, go form yourselves, yourselves, up into a militia. And isn't this interesting, quote, that they provide themselves with good firelocks, end quote. That's guns, by the way. They're going to provide themselves with guns. Now, how in the world would the people of Fairfax County provide themselves with guns? Well, they have the right to go out and purchase arms. That's how. They have the right to go get guns. And you notice how the word hunting never shows up in this statement? This isn't about hunting. This is about the defense of the county of Fairfax and the colony of Virginia. This isn't about hunting. They're not, they're not gathering arms so that they can have the right to go out and hunt. Isn't that interesting? This is the origin of the Second Amendment, right? The words are actually the same. A well-regulated militia. Those words are straight out of the Second Amendment. But this was written by the county of Fairfax in 1775. 
Now, the Second Amendment wasn't signed off on by Vice President John Adams. I have a copy of it hanging in front of me, by the way, in case, you're, in case you wonder uh, how it is that I live my life. I actually have a copy of the original uh, 12 uh, amendments to the United States Constitution, which were eventually whittled down to 10, which is our Bill of Rights today. I have a copy of it that hangs on my wall in my residence, and it's signed. I'm looking at it right now. It's signed by John Adams, Vice President of the United States in, in March of 1789. That was quite a while later. This concept had been around for quite a while, quite a long time, folks, and there's reasons for it. And you remember from the last episode of Taxation Without Representation, I took the time to read that law from Virginia in 1619 that everybody who attends church is not only required to attend church on the Sabbath day, but they are required to bring their guns with them if they are a person under arms. They're required to bring their guns. They were ordered to do so individually as people. And here we have George Washington very clearly articulating to us the very definition of a well-regulated militia. All well-regulated means, means is, by the way, is a well-organized. It's well-organized. And there, were, there was actually a quotation that I have from a British soldier uh, in 1775 who referred to the colonists who engaged them in combat as being, quote, well-regulated, end quote. And these were just townsfolk and farmers. So don't misunderstand what well-regulated means. It just means well-organized. And that's what they're doing here. He's, Washington is describing to you how you organize a militia. And who better to do it than General Washington? 68 men, choose a captain, two lieutenants, an ensign, four sergeants, four corporals, and one drummer for each company. That's well-regulated. It just means organized. The structure. But they are recommended to do it, not ordered to do it. And they are to do it themselves. Quote, form themselves into companies, end quote. Quote, they provide themselves with good firelocks, end quote. Now, why is this, what, what's the purpose of this? What is the purpose of organizing a militia such as this uh, amongst the people themselves? Quote, a well-regulated militia composed of gentlemen, freeholders, and other freemen is the natural strength and only staple security of a free government, end quote. Further, quote, standing armies among us, ever dangerous to liberty, end quote. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. A well-regulated militia... And again, we've defined that, that it is the people amongst themselves, ages 16 to 50 in this case, as, as recommended by General Washington, and they are, to, they are recommended to do this amongst themselves and to provide for themselves good guns, a.k.a. firelocks, as they called it. That's your well-regulated militia. It is, and it is, again, the, nat, quote, the natural strength and only staple of a free government, end quote. So you want to have a free government? You better embrace a regulated, a well-regulated militia, according to George Washington, because if you do not embrace it, you're done. Your free country is over. You might as well just say goodbye and let it sail away. Now, either you disagree with George Washington and what he's arguing here, or you agree with it. But let's not persist in, in, in arrogance and, in an un, 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 and, and, pers and persist in an uneducated manner about this particular issue. If you believe that it is possible for a free state to exist without having a well-regulated well militia, then, then, then that's fine. You better be able to string together a logical argument for that and show me a free country that has lasted for any length of time whatsoever without shredding its constitution or its uh, rights of the people in some particular kind of way. Go ahead and demonstrate that. And I'm not going to name names, but I could give you a laundry list of countries that have not survived for more than 100 years under their present government without their constitution being upturned, their rights being violated six ways to Sunday. 
And because some people might say, you know, well, we don't need we don't need companies of 68 men choosing a captain, two lieutenants, an ensign, four sergeants, four corporals, and one drummer for each company amongst the people because we have a military to defend us and we have a, a police force to, to defend us as well, the local police and so on and so forth. Well, what does George Washington say about that? Quote, keeping standing armies among us ever dangerous to liberty, end quote. That answers that argument right there, folks, doesn't it? Again, the fountain, George Washington is not going to be the last person to talk about this. Standing armies were a great problem to the Founding Fathers. They did not like it. They did not like it one bit. It was a huge concern for them, as it should be to you. If you're not concerned about a standing army, you need to crack open some books and read them, my friend. And you need to read about all the abuses perpetuated by a standing army. They are voluminous. And George Washington and the Founding Fathers knew that because these people didn't have a lot to do with their time except their work and to read books. That's what they had. There wasn't a lot of movie theaters to attend back then. There wasn't a lot of Netflix to watch back then either. And there wasn't uh, a lot of frivolous activity to engage in that we all that we all engage in today. We're all guilty of that, by the way, including me. They, they really had their, their family, their work, and their books, assuming they had books and they were able to read. And the people who did have books and were able to read usually did so because it was a privilege to be able to do that. We take it for granted today, as evidenced by the low book sales, uh, especially on topics of um, history. There's uh, Book sales are rather paltry at best, but this is, this is the argument for the well-regulated militia. And you're, I know what some people are going to say. I got it. You know, oh my gosh, Roman, he, he's, he's pro-gun and he's being partisan about this. You know, and he's probably, a, you know, he's probably some lunatic fringe militia member. No. I'm not. I'm not being partisan, and I'm, I'm not a fringe militia member by any stretch of the imagination, although I believe that militias are necessary in certain contexts and, and justifiable in many, and for the defense of the country, certainly uh, very necessary. Uh, the, the British figured that out in World War II, and we're going to talk about that, actually. There's a conversation that's going to be had about that. It's coming up. Uh, this is not the last time that we're going to talk about this particular issue. There's there's a bigger, not a bigger conversation. There's, a, there's kind of a an expanded conversation to be had. This is just kind of part one to this. And I, I wanted to put it out there. And I may even break this off onto a separate podcast episode. I haven't figured that out yet uh, as a, from, from what, I'm, what I'm recording this in naturally. But uh, keep in mind again, this is not, this is not, a, this is not as simple an issue as people think. You know, uh, you know people, think that people look at this issue from a modern context. Uh, and, and again, people have grown very comfortable with a standing army. I don't know why, but they have. Now, I come from, uh, again, all, all you got to do is listen to my Veterans Day podcast episode that I did over on Patreon. Or listen to any any other any, listen to me talk at any length about the United States military, and you will figure out real darn fast that I don't hate the United States military, and I don't think they're evil or despotic in any particular kind of way. Quite the opposite. I believe that the honor of the military is is thus far intact. Thank goodness. But uh, do I am I suspicious of a standing army like George Washington was? Absolutely. Am I suspicious of a standing army like the people of Virginia were back in uh, the 1770s? Absolutely. Do I believe that a well-regulated militia composed of gentlemen, freeholders, and other free men is the natural strength and only staple security of a free government? Absolutely, I do. I think that George Washington was absolutely right about that. And I believe that when necessary, that the inhabitants of this county and elsewhere are to form themselves into companies, whatever the structure may be, and you can use Washington's structure that he articulates here, 68 men, choose a captain, two lieutenants, an ensign, four sergeants, and four corporals, etc. Uh, all these things, are, all these, I think that the, in times of necessity, these things should be done. Now, what necessity would that be? I don't know. If I was living on the west coast of the United States in 1941, I would probably be uh, of a mind to do this exact thing. 
Oh my gosh, Roman, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? And Why would you do that in 1941? What happened in 1941 that would cause you to do that? Well, any student of history would know that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and were, the West Coast was under threat of attack. You know, we take it for granted now, many, many decades hence that particular event, that, well, the Japanese never invaded the West Coast, they were never going to. The people didn't know that back then. There was no way to know that that was going to happen. The, the, the American fleet could have easily been wiped out at Midway, or Coral Sea. It could have happened. And if it had... Then the the uh, it's very likely that the uh, the American Navy would have been overrun in the Pacific. It's possible that Hawaii would have been would have been invaded. It's it's very obvious that Midway would have been invaded, and it's very possible that the West Coast of the United States could have come under direct assault. And I can think of no better resistance to such an assault or an attack upon the United States than if a great many of the people of this country are so equipped as to form themselves into a well-regulated militia and properly organized, such as General Washington would advise. That's not a partisan issue. That's 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 George Washington telling us what to do for our own purpose, for our own security, and our own free and our own freedom of government, uh, so to speak. Uh, and and again, these are very controversial topics to talk about. They shouldn't be though, because this was just common sense back in the colonies in 1775 when uh, the the county of Fairfax met and drew this up. This is not new. This was not this was not some some novel idea. This was this has been around for quite some time. And the founding fathers, I'm very, I'm very, very much of the opinion of this. The founding fathers would have, would have, would have, would have told you the exact same thing I'm telling you in this particular podcast episode. I mean, I'm just, I just, I firmly believe that. So anyway, so I, I had to get that out there because again, it popped up in these, in these resolutions from Fairfax County. And, you know, the people of Fairfax wanted to be able to defend themselves so that they didn't have to be taxed into oblivion to have the British crown do that for them. They were willing to say, "I'm we're going to do this ourselves. And again, what is this? It's a local government taking it upon themselves to do the job they need to do. Didn't, we, didn't I mention in the last uh, podcast episode, not everything has to be a federal issue. People have forgotten what their state legislatures are for. They have forgotten it because they're not educated about the way things used to be at the founding of the country. And they, they, they totally disregard the, the state legislatures, and they think everything's got to be a federal issue. It doesn't. The county of Fairfax here is saying, okay, we'll defend ourselves. We're just going to levy a tax, and we're going to organize our militias, and that's the way it's going to be. Counties counties do this in some regard uh, to this day via the police force, although, again, that's not a well-regulated militia, by the way. that's uh, A local police force is not that, because it's uh, that's employment. What they're describing here in the county of Fairfax is not employment. This is a voluntary, of-the-people militia and they they take it upon themselves to do it it's not it's not some kind of an employment process by the uh, by the county it's not what this is so it is different but it's a, it's of a similar nature it's it's local government taking their own security into their own hands the security of their people that is uh, so keep that in mind that said uh, one of two things is going to happen. This portion of the podcast on the well-regulated militia is going to be broken off into a separate episode, or it's going to be a part of episode number twelve. I hope that you I hope that you uh, understand why I bring that up, the well-regulated militia, because this is going to play a role in everything that we talk about from here on. When war begins with Great Britain, this issue is going to be front and center. We can't avoid it. I couldn't avoid it if I wanted to. Nor, as a student of history, would I avoid this argument about a well-regulated militia. I wouldn't avoid it because I would be doing a disservice to George Washington, the Founding Fathers, and everybody who fought and died during that particular conflict, especially in the early days, in 1775. I would be doing them a disservice, and I would be dishonoring their memory, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to honor the veterans of this country, including those who served in militia in 1775 and died for their rights and liberties in Massachusetts and elsewhere. 
and I think we, it would be it's incumbent upon us all to do the same. If you have any respect for what these men did to, to fight for their rights, as we describe taxation without representation thoroughly in two-part episodes, if you want to honor that, you have to have this. You have to understand what this means, this well-regulated militia, because it's a big part of it all. Uh, so let's uh, let's set about wrapping up this particular podcast in the next section. There you have it, a well-regulated militia. You know, George Washington and the folks at Fairfax County really define it fairly well. It's it's one of the best brief summaries of what a well-regulated militia is that I think you're going to get. And again, this is not the last time that we're going to talk about this. It's go- We're going to have more on this, and it's not going to be in the next episode. The next episode, we're actually uh, talking about other things. The, uh, the next uh, episode about a well-regulated militia is going to be a little ways down the line. But it will happen, and it's going to be, and it's probably going to pop up at least two more times. Once is kind of a standalone podcast episode, a part two to this episode, and then also when we discuss the Constitution of the United States, Amendment Number Two specifically. And how how do I feel about a well-regulated militia today? You know, like I said, if I you know if I was alive on the West Coast in 1941, I would have been happy to be a part of a of, of a militia, a local militia meant to defend the United States of America. I would have been very happy about that because I think it would have been necessary at the time because you just had no idea. It's easy for us in hindsight to look back to these moments in history when we won World War II and think that, oh, it was always going to happen. We were always going to win World War II. Local militias, West Coast, Japanese invasion, whatever. I was never going to happen. The United States never... You know what? This, this, this feeling of invincibility that people have in the United States is delusional. It's pure delusion. And I've heard it more than once. I remember watching a lecture by a, a military guy. He was given a lecture about World War II, and somebody got up in the crowd and asked a question during a Q&A session afterwards. And he, uh, he, asked the, he, he basically had a theory behind his question. I even forget exactly what his question was, but he prefaced it with this long spiel about how the United States doesn't need a standing army, doesn't need, well, it's not so much they don't need a standing army, but they don't need a large, quote-unquote, military-industrial complex because we have these two oceans, but, you know, on either side of us and so on and so forth. And he really felt like the United States was invincible because we have two oceans on either side of us. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, this, 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 this dude is totally delusional. He has lived in the safety and security of the United States and, frankly speaking, probably never served in the military. And neither have I, by the way, but that's not, that's not really my point. The point is, is he, just, he just has no idea how dangerous this world is and how easily, how easily an enemy can cross an ocean today. I mean, seriously, if it wasn't for the large United States Navy, how long do you think it would take for the Chinese Navy to sail across the Pacific Ocean, be on the West Coast, and and landing an invasion army? How long do you think it would take them? A week? Maybe two? And you you think, oh, well, it's it's impossible. The Chinese couldn't couldn't do that today. The Japanese couldn't do it in in World War II, etc., etc. You know what? That's, That's pure delusion. The Japanese could have easily, if they would have rolled up the United States Navy at Coral Sea or at Midway, and they would have beat us back across that up across that ocean. They could have easily invaded the west coast of the United States. Now, would they have won? No, they wouldn't have. Frankly speaking, they didn't have the military power to do it, and they didn't have the right kind of military to invade a a, a continent and sustain that kind of invasion. They just didn't have it. Uh, not that far away from their territory. Uh, they barely managed to, to do it in China. But a, a more well-equipped army, a more industrial army like uh, China, could easily do it. Easily if it wasn't for a, a large standing army of the United States. But that said, militias are, are very necessary in, in certain times. 
And these are not things you can just constitute on the fly. You can't just have a well-regulated militia on the fly. Sure, you can put, in a last-minute effort, you can put some guns in some people's hands, like, you know, like in, uh, like Germany did at the end of World War II, with the, uh, the Volksstorm and the, uh, the Hitlerjugend in Berlin trying to, stay, trying, to, trying to stave off the Soviet army. But that's not going to end well. What we mean, it's not just a militia. It's a well-regulated militia, an organized militia. How do you do that if people have no experience with firearms? The reason why the colonists at Lexington and Concord, the reason why the colonists in Massachusetts in 1775 at Bunker Hill were able to do the things that they did is because these were people who were used to handling firearms. They could be a well-regulated militia because they knew what they were doing. And you, you need an American citizenry that knows what they're doing with firearms in case they're needed. And if you th and the, this delusional environment that we live in, we live in a Disneyland fantasy world in the United States. This delusion that you have in your head, some people, not the listeners of this podcast, I'm sure, but this delusion that some people have that a militia's not necessary, the standing army's always going to be available and ready to go, and no foreign army's ever going to invade, they couldn't possibly, etc., etc., that's just complete crap. Crack open a history book, folks. Crack open a history book. The British Empire in 1940 was about a heartbeat away from being invaded by Germany. There was a very real threat of it. And it was only through stupidity and incompetence on the part of the Germans that it didn't happen. And the Soviet Union, for crying out loud, one of the, the largest militaries on the face of the planet, and a very large population, and, an, and the, literally the largest nation on the planet, still to this day Russia's the largest nation on the planet, invaded by Germany. They got all the way up to literally the suburbs of Moscow. They were knocking on the doors. They had, they had door kickers knocking down doors just outside Moscow. You think it can't happen here? Oh, it can. And you start you start playing around with these things that the Founding Fathers told us. The Founding Fathers told us, you know, a well-regulated militia, the necessity of a free state, etc., etc. Uh, you really need to have people in this country, civilians, citizens, who can be a well-regulated militia. And let's, you know, let's deal with the elephant in the room. You know, the Founding Fathers, again, like I mentioned previously, were very skeptical of standing armies. They were very, very skeptical of them. And for good reason. Standing armies are dangerous. I said it. I said it a, a few a number of minutes ago on this podcast. Very, very dangerous. Always are standing armies. You cannot trust them. You always have to keep your eye on them. They are very necessary, especially in this day and age. Very, very necessary. You cannot not have a standing army. But that said, they are still very dangerous. A standing army is just as dangerous today as it was in 1776 when the Founding Fathers, and 1775 when the Founding Fathers were writing about the dangers of a standing army. That hasn't changed. Why do people run around the country, why do people run around the world, in Europe, Asia, and elsewhere, thinking to themselves that this world has really changed in some significant way? People are people. Politicians are politicians. Militaries are militaries. These things can go dark. And you think you think a, you think a military can't ever be used against you? Well, it's happened before in Germany, in the Soviet Union, in the British Empire, in France. Militaries have been used against their own people to kill them, to literally kill them. The Japanese army in World War II, it's not so much that they went to war with their own people, although there's some folks on Iwo Jima and Okinawa who would say that they probably did. But um it's not so much that they went to the went to war with their own people, but they certainly oppressed their own people. You think the Japanese really cared about the people on those Japanese home islands? They were willing to put those they were willing to put as many civilians in front of American bullets as they had to until the Americans ran out of bullets. And literally for no reason at all. 
except to maintain their power structure in the Japanese Imperial Army and Navy. You think that can't happen to you? Wherever you're listening to this podcast in the world, you literally believe that cannot happen to you? I say you're delusional. And, I, and why do I say that? Why do I use such harsh words by, by referring to you as delusional? Because I've actually cracked open some history books in my time, and I, frankly speaking, I know what I'm talking about. And anybody who, who really believes that this can't happen in the 21st century, it can't happen in modern days because everything is just sweetness and lollipops, is delusional. You want to keep your freedom and you want to keep your liberty. The Founding Fathers had a, had a basic recipe for you. And one of the ingredients in that recipe was a well-regulated militia. The right of the people, as in we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's not a partisan statement. It came out of the, it came out of the mouth of George Washington 250 years ago. That was the most nonpartisan man in American politics you're ever going to know of. It wasn't about partisanship with George Washington, and it wasn't about partisanship with the people of Virginia at the time. It wasn't about that. It was about reality, because these people were fighting for their lives, and they were fighting for their rights. And you want to, and for those of you who want to disarm yourselves and disarm your neighbors, neighbors and cast your fate to a standing army, the Founding Fathers warned you was an absolute threat to freedom, you, you, you go with that. You see how that works out for you. But again, I, I would before you make that decision, before you actually start walking down that road, I, I would warn you to, to crack open a history book and start reading. And you can start with the Roman Empire and work your way forward. And look at every instance where, where, a, where, a, where a, a standing army, including the Roman military, was used against their own people to murder them. Now, do I think the United States Army is ever going to be used that way? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I hope not. I mean, I don't, I, I've never, I've never, I, I don't think so. I really don't. But, you know, it could happen. I mean, I, the, the, the United States military has done some really kind of, uh, some really crazy stuff in the past. I mean, anybody who's read about, you know, Sherman's march to the sea and the burning of Atlanta during the Civil War knows that the United States military can be used for some very dark purposes. And we just kind of, we just kind of ignore it. Like, like, well, that was a Civil War. The South was evil and slavery needed to end. So if he burns Atlanta and murders people along the way and burns their farms and their houses down and just shoots at civilians, that's perfectly fine because it was a Civil War and we really needed to do it. Really? I mean, is that, is that really what you believe? And all I'm trying to say here, I'm not trying to beat up on the Union Army. I mean, all I'm saying is that, you know, even even the army that was supposed to be constituted for some righteous endeavor, and I do believe in many instances the, the Union Army in the Civil War was righteous in its cause in some respects, but boy did they do some terrible stuff. And I don't think it was uh, appropriate for the Union Army to conduct itself that way, to be honest with you. I really don't. Uh, and people are going to disagree with me, but I believe that, I believe that armies, especially if you're at war with your own country— should conduct themselves with some kind of honor and dignity. And I don't believe that in all instances the Union Army did that. I believe the Union Army de behaved rather despicably in, in, a, in, a, in a number of instances. And honestly, Sherman, Atlanta, and all the rest of his whole march to the sea, etc., I genuinely do not approve of it. Now, people are going to disagree with me, and you know what? That's okay. You can form together a rational argument that it was justified and all the rest of it. Fine, fantastic, whatever. Knock yourself out. I just personally think it was unnecessary. But I just use that as an example to show you that, you know, a standing army can do some pretty terrible things sometimes. And you want to be very careful with it. So, you know, well-regulated militia is, is something of a, uh, a necessity, again, for, for the freedom and liberty of any given country.
So think on that for a little bit, again, with this particular topic. And, you know, heaven forbid there should ever need, need to be a situation where a well-regulated militia is called upon. That is to say, you know, the, a militia of the people is called upon to defend this country again from some foreign invader, be it like the British in 1812 when the British Empire invaded the United States of America, or whatever. It could happen. Probably not from Britain, but from somewhere else. It could happen. And believe me, if it does happen, you're going you're gonna to thank your lucky stars that the local community is able to put together a quote-unquote well-regulated militia. You're going to thank your lucky stars, as opposed to just being defenseless against the wolves. You know, people need to start living in reality and understand how dangerous the world is instead of living in some Disneyland fantasy world, like we tend to do here in the United States. This country's been far too comfortable for far too long. And I don't mean that to say that that should be taken away. I just mean it has an effect on people. Uh, not since World War II has this country been under real threat from an enemy. I mean, aside from the Cold War, which was very ambiguous because it was so distant uh, from the United States uh, mainland. But this topic shouldn't be controversial to people. People shouldn't get, you know, offended at the concept of a well-regulated militia. It is what it is. The Founding Fathers wrote about it, and for good reason. And uh, like I said, I, I encourage everybody to think on this topic. And uh, again, I will address this again a little bit more uh, in depth and so, with some more details in future episodes. Uh, but this is a good time to talk about it. General Washington had a, a number of things to say about it. And who better to teach us about a well-regulated militia than the commander-in-chief of the army during the Revolutionary War? I mean, he's he's an authority and the first president of the United States. There's there's few people better equipped to educate us all about this. And again, this is a this is his message it, it, more than it is mine. Uh, educating us all, including myself, about what a well-regulated militia is. I mean, I understand it much better having read the words of George Washington, the Founding Fathers, you know, generally on this particular topic, and their, their skepticism, their skeptical nature of a, of a standing army. Because of what the Founding Fathers wrote, I am skeptical of a standing army. Why? Because they made a very good case for being skeptical about a standing army. They, they just made a very good case about it. Just, just read what they wrote. It's, it's pretty basic. Uh, so I'll leave you with that. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I, I look forward to the next one. The next one's going to be on a different topic. Obviously, we're going to continue on with the letters. And speaking of, uh, 19, I mentioned 1941 and the Japanese um, potential invasion of the West Coast of the United States, and, and you know that being one of the justifications, certainly, for a well-regulated militia. I'm going to be doing a podcast episode over on the uh, Patreon side of thing, patreon.com slash podcast with Roman, specifically on the war with Japan in, 19, in the 1940s. Not on World War II generally, but just strictly on the war with Japan. And I'm going to talk about it, I think, in a way that most people have not heard anybody talk about it. I've got some very unique thoughts and feelings about the war with Japan, and that's going to be coming out because of the anniversary that we've got coming up for December 7th. Uh, it's going to be, I believe, 80, I think we're at the 80-year mark of December 7th, 1941, and it's it's a good time to talk about it uh, so we don't forget. And I've got, a, I've got an episode that's going to drop sometime between now and December 7th. So if you want to listen to what I think is going to be a fantastic discussion on December 7th and the war with Japan, please go over to the Patreon side of things. The link is in the description box to this podcast. And sign up for a subscription over there if you like. It's $3 a month. Uh, at the minimum, you can do a $6 subscription. You get a little bit more content over there. And uh, if you end up 
just listening to that podcast, you decide the rest of the episodes are not for you. In other words, you just want to listen to that one episode and the rest of the episodes are not for you. You can sign up for a month and then just bounce out. It's okay. It's not a problem. Uh, but I think you'll get a lot of really good content over there. I try to I try to create a good product for you over there as well. And you can you can leave comments, communicate with me, ask questions, etc. It's it's a great environment for that. Uh, with that said, uh, we will conclude this particular episode of the podcast, and then we will be moving on to the next one. I look forward to seeing you there. As always, I thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast, and thank you for your time. Thank you for spending time learning this material and studying it with me. With that, this is Roman signing out. <laughs>